Welcome to the Captain's Table. Welcome to the Captain's Table, where we discuss the stories that have shaped Star Trek in words. My name's Michael, and with me as always is my wonderful co-host, Roz. Hi, Roz. Hey, Michael. Thank you for a lovely introduction, as always. I'm just trying to uh, up the stakes after the great one you gave me on the last show. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to have to come up with something really good for the next one, then. Oh, dear. It's just going to get worse and worse, isn't it? (laughs) Without further ado, though, Ros, we actually have a guest with us this evening. We do. Our very first guest for oh. one of our book reviews. It is. Listeners, we're really pleased to welcome to the captain's table, Jason Inman. Hi, Jason. Hello. Live long and prosper, yo. Peace, <laughs> peace and long life. <laughs> it, it's great to have you here, Jason. And, and for our listeners, Jason is the co-creator of the fantastic Red Shirt Diaries. It's fantastic. Wow, the doctor got approval. All right, I like that. <laughs> oh, it's it's really great to have you here, Jason. And before we get straight down to the book, can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, please? Well, I like long walks on the beach and Rackaginos <laughs> and corks. Uh, no, no, I'm I'm simply a writer slash uh, director who lives in L.A., who hosts a video for DC Comics called DC All Access and makes Star Trek web series on the side. Oh, Jason, you're far more than that. I, I, I've got to say, you're, su- <laughs> you're such a cool dude because you've got a job with DC uh, DC Comics. I, I see these photos on Instagram and it's just, you have such a cool job. It's fantastic. You get to talk about comics and everything that's happening at DC. It's fantastic. The best, actually, the best part of the job actually is that DC the DC Comics lobby has this comic rack that's full of their comics and you can take all of them that you want. It's just, anybody that comes anybody that comes into the office it's 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 the it's the if do you want a comic take it oh that's oh. amazing okay you are now internationally envied yeah. <laughs> envied from across the pond oh nice how long have you been doing that now a couple of months isn't it i think uh since january since january yeah mm-hmm. oh that's fantastic i'm sorry i'm still in shock over free comics <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's like every day is free comic book day for you it's <laughs> yeah yeah it's pretty cool michael's doing the math in his head of how much money he could have saved if he got his comics for free instead of having to buy them <laughs> well, it's, only, it's only dc comics it's not the other companies <laughs> so jason We've already mentioned that you you like Star Trek. Can you just tell us a little bit about your love of Star Trek and also about Star Trek books? How many have you read and and do you like them and and what sort of books have you read? Well, my love of Star Trek started uh, when TNG premiered because the local news station was doing a news story about that the new Star Trek was going to premiere that night. And so we watched it and I fell in love with it and I watched TNG and all the other series live from there on. And because of that, when I was especially like as a teenager, I read a lot of Star Trek books. Now, I will I will fully admit it's probably been at least a year since I've read another Star Trek book. And before that, it was probably at least 10 years because I kind of fell out of it. Um, But I used to read a lot of books back in the day, a lot of Star Trek books. And and it was so funny because I always felt like my favorites and this is probably going to give me a lot of scorn were the William Shatner written ones or the ones that he had other people ghostwrite and he put his name over it. Yeah, I remember those. Uh, The Return, 
yeah, they're so ridiculous because like <laughs> Shatner wins, but like it's so cool because it's like, oh, it's all the people that you like, and now they're fighting the Borg. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, wasn't it um, Judith and Garfield something? Uh, yes. Stevens. Uh-huh. Stevens. Yeah, they they ghost wrote it, and and Shatner put his name on. And Shatner had this habit of in his stories, he would try and connect everything together. Yes. That everything would somehow be connected to all the different plots from either TOS, TNG, Voyager. And- exactly. It, almost to the point where it became really bad. No offense intended here. Fan fiction. No, no, it's true. It, it did feel like that. It really, really did feel like that. And of course, Kirk was in the middle of everything. And oh yeah, Kirk was the savior of the universe. Even though by that point he would have been like eighty. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I will say probably my favorite one, the one I remember the most, is um, Star Trek: D Space Nine Millennium. Because D Space Nine was always my favorite Star Trek series, and I think that one, that one really felt like. That one I felt could have been an episode in the sixth season. Like we could have seen that up, we could have seen that as an episode, and that, and that's always been my biggest problem with some of the books. And I think that's why I dropped off of it was because I would read some of these books and I'd be like, they'd never do that in the TV show. So my favorite ones were always the ones where it was like, oh, this feels like it could be an episode. Which I will say, the book that we chose today does seem like it could have been Voyager season eight. Oh, it's true. Ros and I have said on so many podcasts about the Voyager books that if only Kirsten could have been the person writing the Voyager series because she gets the characters and she understands Voyager and, and how it should have been. And especially characters mm-hmm. like Chakotay. And um, if she if she could have been a script writer, Voyager would have been so much more. It, it could have been so much more. Sorry. And it would have been a lot more consistent in terms of character development, isn't it? Ros? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I know that they were totally constrained by the fact that um, unlike Deep Space Nine, which had big series long plot arcs that was all one big continuation with Voyager, they made the decision to go back to a much more episodic um, show, Mm -hmm. much like um, TOS and TNG. But it kind of feels that even for an episodic show, they were really light on the character development. And especially since they had seven seasons, it's just like they did so little with some of those characters. And in just a couple of books, Kirsten or Kirsten has managed to totally turn them around and um, mm-hmm. and just make them such three-dimensional people um, that you can really engage with and really care about. Whereas that was just always a bit lacking. I like Voyager. Like, I really enjoy Voyager, the TV show. But with regards to the character development, it just wasn't the best. Um, So it's been amazing what she's managed to do with them taking that forward in the novels now. Tonight we are going to be reviewing the next in our Star Trek Voyager series, uh, another fantastic book from Kirsten Beyer. And this one is Children of the Storm, which is the third book in the series. That's right. And for the listeners, Roz, can you give us a general synopsis, please? I can. And this one looks like it actually has some punctuation in it. So uh, I shouldn't be purple by the end of this one, as I usually have. <laughs> Little is known about the children of the storm, one of the most unique and potentially dangerous species the Federation has ever encountered. Non-corporeal and travelling through space in vessels apparently propelled by thought alone, the children of the storm at one time managed to destroy thousands of Borg ships without firing a single conventional weapon. Now, in its current mission to the Delta Quadrant, Captain Chakotay and Fleet Commander Afsara Eden must unravel why three Federation starships, the USS Quirinal, Plank and Demeter, have suddenly been targeted without provocation 
and with extreme prejudice by the powerful children of the storm with thousands of starfleet lives at stake from an enemy that the federation can only begin to comprehend these are not the friendly stars of the federation and the unknown and unexpected are the everyday another great da, da, da. yeah <laughs> <laughs> can i ask an ignorant question please oh, go ahead okay now you said that this is the fourth book in this series now this is the only one that i've read is, is children of the storm did the book series start with the fleet going to the delta quadrant what was the launching of this book series like yeah, that that was full circle. The first book of the relaunch was um, full circle. And this is in the wake of Admiral Janeway's death. Mm. And Jakote is a bit of a wreck and so seven. And the idea is that they're going to go to the Delta Quadrant and see if there's any remains of the Borg. Because Got it. through the time of destiny, the Borg are assimilated themselves almost by the Kalia, who in fact created the Borg. And... They just want to find out if the Borg are still around, isn't it, Ros? But although there's certain motives behind them, other motives behind them going. So it's all in full circle, isn't it, Ros? Yeah, they, they want to return to the Delta Quadrant, one, to check to see if the Borg are really gone. Um, but also, since Voyager travelled, circumnavigated its way through the, the Delta Quadrant and made some friends and made some enemies, they want to kind of go back. Uh, now that they have time and the resources and a proper fleet and uh, patch up any animosity that they've created um, and shore up alliances with any other uh, friendly species out there because they really need all the help that they can get uh, wow. after with the, the political fallout that's happening in the Alpha Quadrant. Cool. See, that clears up a lot for me. Thank you. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> so, Jason, looking at Children of the Storm, what was your first impressions and, and what did you think the themes were of the book? I think a lot of this um, this book, it ties into a lot of the other novels. For, for, so for me, when, when I saw this uh, question in the breakdown, I, I had a very difficult time with this question. And the best answer I could come up with for what is the theme of this book is that maybe a lot of it is about moving on about accepting that life moves on because we have a lot of Chakotay being like, oh, I don't know if this is what Catherine would have done. And then um, I don't know if I want to deal with Eden. And then there's a lot of Tom and Bellana, you know, and Tom Bellana like trying to be like, hey, we want to have we want to have this family life. And, you know, we you know, things aren't the way it's going to be. And and then Harry Kim seems to deal the most with it where he's like it's especially when they start that, that uh, scene in the very beginning when they're in the holodeck. They're doing the Captain Proton, and Harry Kim is like, oh, this isn't fun anymore. And and then especially if you go through all the way to the Children of the Storm, and you learn when we learn kind of their origins, and that may be kind of the reason why they're so screwed up or so aggressive is because they, they haven't moved on from what, what they originally started out as being. And because of the Federation crew, they sort of get to move on. They get to start something new. I mean, that's my best guess. I mean, it could be a completely wrong, and, and the author could probably be like, man, this guy didn't. Did he read the same book I wrote? What happened here? Oh, no, definitely not. Um, we, we've said the whole theme of these books so far is, is very much about moving on, isn't it, Ros? And Yeah, and it's about um, coming to terms with, with what's happened and, and what's... They've all been through a, a massively turbulent time, not just the Alpha Quadrant in general with everything that happened with the Borg and, and the entire Federation and their, their way of life being possibly ripped away from them but individually each of these characters has been through a very personal trauma um and mm. so they're trying they're trying to move on not just from what has happened to 
the their world but but from what has happened to them and to their personal relationships and and the way that they view those around them so yeah i would say you're absolutely spot on with the with that this book is about moving on moving forward the theme i saw from this book was the fact that it's about exploration and, and uh, an ongoing theme of 2015 in star trek books is exploration but it's great to see that when when kirsten wrote this back in um 2011 that she was already getting back to that theme of exploration and and it's about first contact but also a first contact that goes drastically wrong looking at the characters for this book we, we've got lots of things happening on different ships throughout the book so jason what did, were there any characters that stood out for you and considering you haven't read Voyager books for a while now. Um, there must be a lot of new characters here. and, and, and Oh, man. And the characters you know must have changed a lot. Yeah, Harry changed the most. Harry didn't seem to act like the Harry I'd known. And, I, and to be honest with you, I actually kind of missed my favorite Voyager character, Tuvok. Um, I really missed him in this book. I know he's on, like, the Titan now. Didn't he go with Riker? That's right. Yeah, yeah, you've lost him to the Titan. He's the tactical yeah. officer over there now. Um, yeah, there were a lot of new characters, and I will say that there were a lot of points where I got very confused about which character was who and which ship was which ship, because I didn't really feel like... I didn't, I, now, this might have happened in one of the other books, but I feel in this book, there to me, there wasn't a strong scene to like introduce each ship and introduce each captain, so I had a hard time keeping them separate, because I haven't read anything else. But I will say, I thought the best character in the book, I loved him... And I hated him at the same time was Captain Liam O'Donnell because I loved how he was just like, we're going to do peaceful. I'm going to be making with my plants. But I also hated him because he's kind of a lazy captain that he was just like, I'm just going to sit down here in the botany bay and and you just do the thing. As long as the ship's not on fire, I don't care. And to me, that's a lazy captain. But he was interesting. Yeah, he was. And and um, where you were saying about the introductions to the ships, this is really the first book out of the three that Kirsten's actually moved away from Voyager, isn't it, Roz, and actually started to focus on the other ships and the other characters. Yeah, I think given that this that you're jumping into the series here, mm -hmm. um, this with regards to keeping up with who is who, th this is probably the most difficult one. So sorry for that. <laughs> but um, <laughs> Yeah, this is this is really the first time that we get a lot of uh, a lot of um, detail about the other ships, and uh, it is a lot to take in with the jumping back and forward between uh, different crews and different uh, ships, and the fact that each of them has a specific um, purpose as well. So there's a very different culture between the, the different ships. So yeah, that that was something that can be a bit difficult to keep track of um, as you go through this series. But no, I agree with you. He is a frustrating character and uh, you learn a lot about um, Captain O'Donnell in the book. But there were times you were just thinking, get on the bridge, sort your shit yeah. out. It was yeah, there were a lot of times where I was like, come on, dude. <laughs> yeah, he, he was just, if he was any more laid back, he'd, he'd be lying down, wouldn't he, really? It, it was that. He felt like that. And, and, and because of that, he created the situation that almost screwed them all when he was like, you know what? I'm going to go out there and play with the children of the storm and try to inject some plants inside them. And it's no wonder his first officer was like, shoot them all out of the sky, blow them up. Like, cause he'd left that first officer alone so much that the first officer was just like, I have carte blanche to do anything and I'm going to do what I want to do. 
And I loved the interaction between uh, Commander Fife and Captain O'Donnell, the tension between the two as it was building up in the book. And uh, this was their first real crisis together since they started working together on the ship. And uh, the chain of command just completely broke down. And, and I don't know if you guys have seen the film, but this reminded me of Crimson Tide. I actually rewatched that movie very recently. It still holds up. And yes, it does. I absolutely love that film. Have you seen that, Roz? I, I think... A long time ago, but I don't really remember it. It's the submarine um, story with Gene Hackman as the captain and Denzel Washington as the first officer. And they think there's going to be a nuclear attack. And um, Gene Hackman's quite ready to fire the nuclear missiles while Denzel Washington wants to get clarification and confirmation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because they get an incomplete message. That's right. And yeah. Denzel wants to err on the side of caution while Gene Hackman wants to go ahead. And, and I felt that the tension in that film is exactly what it was like here. And that's definitely going to be a question for Kirsten. Was you thinking of Crimson Tide when you wrote this? <laughs> yeah, you should ask me, like, how recently have you watched Crimson Tide? Yeah. <laughs> be honest. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, I, I love the relationship between those two. And, and, um, and I, I've put in my notes, actually, that the second time around reading this, I've actually enjoyed it more, these two characters, than I did the first time. Yeah, and I actually enjoyed, um, and I'll shut up about the characters let you guys hear your thoughts. I actually liked this interaction between these two characters a lot better than Chakotay and the fleet captain. Yeah, Eden? Yeah. Yeah, I, I thought Eden, mm, just from this book, and I don't, I don't know again, what happens in previous events, but... From this book, I felt like a lot of times I was like, get out of the way, Eden. Chakotay's got the right decision. Like, move. Like, stop trying to be, like, micromanager. No, no, I agree. I think in this book, she's trying to make up for what happened in the previous book, where the Admiral, who was the fleet commander, turned out mm -hmm. to be a member of Species 8472. And it was also her husband, and she never knew that he was a member of Species 8472. So I think in this book, she's overcompensating so much that her command decisions are quite blinkered. So as you say, Jacote knows where, what the ship should be doing and where the fleet should be going. But because she wants redemption in some ways, she's just not seeing the whole picture. I also really enjoyed the relationship between uh, Captain Donald and Commander Fife. And I think that if you look at the, the relationship between those two and the relationship in this book between Eden and Chakotay, that there's very much uh, a sort of mirroring a uh, theme of, of trust here. I think that I find it interesting that you described um, O'Donnell's captain style as lazy because w what I saw of him was somebody who has got to the rank of captain of the ship because of his academic achievements, because he is the absolute top expert in his field. But he has absolutely no experience of being the man that when it comes to crunch time has to make the big decisions. And that he, I, I think that he just does not have the confidence in his abilities as a, a ship's commander to, to be able to trust himself in that position. So that's why he's left it to the very sort of long-term experienced war grizzled uh, Fife, who he feels is in a much better position to be doing that because all that, that O'Donnell really wants to be is a botanist. But he was given this opportunity and he didn't think they could pass it up. So I, I saw him kind of less as lazy and more as just he did not have the confidence to be in that role. Um, and it wasn't until it came to the, the point where he felt that his sort of scientific answer to the problem was the best idea. And that was when he tried to pull rank and things got very contentious. 
And with regards to Chakotay and Eden, I think, again, it's an issue of, of trust and confidence between them because of all the issues that Chakotay has had um, with his going a bit off the rails. Um, and he's kind of been giving us, given a second chance now with this mission back to the Delta Quadrant to redeem himself. But I think that Eden very much doesn't have the, the trust and the confidence in him yet to be able to totally take her hands off the rails. And he, Jacoti, is starting to feel that, you know, he's he is the captain and he knows what he's doing and he has got a hold of himself enough to be able to make these decisions. And that's where they have, they've come to butt heads. And and again, on, on both ships, there's this bit of kind of tugging back and forward power struggle. And um, in, in either case, there's people pulling rank and feeling that they have the best answer to this to that situation. So I, I thought it was quite interesting how that was mirrored between the two different ships. And the only thing I'd say about Fife is the fact that he's a war first officer because the Federation was slaughtered basically almost by the Borg, 60 billion dead, so many starships destroyed, so many captains, first officers killed, and he's been promoted ahead of his time. And all he's ever known is war with the Borg. And now suddenly his first reaction when encountering Children of the Storm is to go to Red Alert, go to battle stations and, and fight his way out. Where before, a few years ago, more seasoned first officers and, and captains would have gone for the typical Starfleet. Let's try and get the first contact right. Let's try and use diplomacy to solve the problem. But here he's quick to fight. And I think that's because of what happened during the Borg invasion. Definitely. And it's almost um, it's almost different characters personifying the different um, cultures that, that happened. There's the culture of the Federation before the wars, you know, the Dominion, which was quickly followed on by the Borg, um, which was all the spirit of exploration, of reaching for that next star, of seeing what was out there. And now there's this new culture that's been bred of paranoia and defensiveness and seeing everything that's out there as a potential threat to our way of, to their way of life. So it's almost, it's not just that the, the people are struggling, it's those two opposing ethos that are struggling against each other. Yeah, very much so. And it's great how, how Kirsten has, um, I seem to be going back from Kirsten and Kirsten, she's going to slap me at some point. <laughs> we, do, we do have to ask her how she pronounces it, because I keep hearing people <laughs> saying it one way and the other. <laughs> I, I think I'm going to stick with Kirsten. I think I think um, I think it's brilliant how Kirsten is showing that argument within the story between the two types. How you explained it, and it, it's really good that she's got like strings pulling between exploration and and Fife on the defensive. It's it's really really good. I think, and I'm just going to say, just going back to relationships within the story, something that I did enjoy, and on the other hand, I'm glad that they're that it's finally over now. Is Harry and Tom. I know Jason said he, he's not too sure about how he liked um, Harry in the story, but I'm glad. Yeah, but I didn't, I didn't like Harry too much in the show either. So. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I, I think this is the best we've seen Harry, though, um, in the books. And, and I think I'm glad that they've resolved their differences now. Yeah, this is I mean, there was definitely a lot more for Harry to do in this book than there was in like some of the episodes. Because in some of the episodes, all he had to do was just like, scanners on, Captain. Scanners off, Captain. I mean, that's all he had to do. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. In this one, he he's, you know, a whole new subplot. And Harry and Tom fell out big time in the in the last couple of books to do with Bellana. And, you know, finally, they're, they're friends again, isn't it, Roz? 
Yeah, well, thanks to Cambridge, um, who took a bit of an unorthodox approach to it. But uh, it, it's nice to see that their relationship will never be the same as it was, but it's nice to see them um, rekindling a bit of the romance. Yeah, definitely. And, and what you're finding in Voyager now, Jason, they've actually got mm-hmm. a count. They've got the counselor now and uh, he, he thinks that the whole crew. I like him. Yeah, he's good, isn't he? Yeah, it'd be I interesting like for you to go back and read the first book, though, because we didn't like him then, did we, Ros? Really? He's one of these ones that grows on you. But but having jumped into this book, Jason, what did you think of of the counselor? Um, I liked him. He he was, you know, um, the only thing that took me out of the book a little bit was the scene where Seven showed up and he was kind of, um, you know, frazzled and he didn't really want to talk to her that much. Um, but I didn't know if if uh, Kirsten was trying to go for oh he's human and seven needs to realize that i was very pleasantly surprised even even in this just this book i thought they that she did a great job of establishing him because i totally buy him and seven being together like i buy him and seven being together way more than her and chakotay to be honest with you <laughs> which i never yeah. bought in final eight season i never bought it no one did no. <laughs> but yeah he seems like a good companion for her He's a great counselor too. He's really good at. This is gonna get me a lot of shade, but he's the first Star Trek counselor that I like. Ooh. And and yeah, and yeah, I, I I threw some I threw some hot water onto Ezri and and Troy, but I don't know. <laughs> most, most Star Trek counselors to me, I've always been like, why are you on the ship? What's your purpose? I I think what you liked about it is the fact that we actually in the book we actually get to see him counseling where do a job yeah yeah actually do the job where on tng we hardly saw that with troy and and certainly in ds9 because during the esri season as i call season seven of ds9 we 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 hardly saw her do that either apart from that one episode with garrick yeah i i i I think i have to agree with you jason and not that i didn't like troy because i did like troy but i like troy as the diplomatic officer that she was Um, she was really good in the first contact situation she was really good at evening out tensions when they arose um and sort of being part of that diplomatic negotiation process she was really good at that i I found her a bit flimsy when it came to the counseling thing so i could take or leave that and esri i never enjoyed as a counselor because and i know that the point was that she wasn't really herself because she was adjusting but i just thought that she was so useless as a counselor it's like i i wouldn't go and see you if i was stressed about something so why should anybody (laughs) else so i yeah i think that this is hugh is really the first star trek counselor that i can really get behind so i'm with you on that one were there any other characters that stood out for you within within the book jason whether it be good or bad you know, one character that really stood out for me as being as not being as I remembered her, and I don't know whether this is like I said other events, is Bellana. Bellana didn't really seem to act like Bellana for me. She seemed to be very, very doubtful and very like, oh, I don't know. And that I don't know whether maybe you know, um, she could be quite different because you know she had uh, her child with Tom. But like I, I guess I remembered Bellana as being very very decisive even if it was the wrong decision she would make it and just blunder through it and then fix the mistakes later whereas this this balana seemed like oh i don't know should i do this oh i don't know and i was like hmm she seems like a bad choice for the fleet chief engineer because fleet chief engineers need to be like change out that crystal now (laughs) (laughs) yeah i think i think balana's been quite beaten down by this point um and she she has this is her starting a new chapter in a in a fairly long subplot 
that involved her and Tom and Morale. Uh, so it, I think, given everything that she'd been through, it's kind of understandable that she has a bit of self-doubt in this book. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you haven't read all of those previous subplots, yeah, I think it would be a fairly drastic um, departure yeah, from, from the character so that you know. Saying that yeah. over and over too. They're like, oh, you didn't read the other book. Ah. <laughs> Oh no! I, I, as we're as we're speaking, I'm actually thinking we 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 really threw Jason in the deep end here, didn't we, Ross? Yeah, I mean, there's some books that are much more standalone, and that you it helps if you read the other books, but that you can totally um, enjoy them as a standalone. With the Voyager series, they are quite dependent on each other, um, and mm. this is probably one of the more complex ones with relation to expanding on the previous subplots. So yeah, you've been a bit thrown in at the deep end, but I I'm I'm glad that thus far you seem to have found found it enjoyable regardless, or at least found yeah, elements yeah, right. of it that you found enjoyable regardless of that, because it's quite well, it's I quite would... a nice test <laughs> to throw somebody in like that yeah. and say, can you enjoy the books even if you haven't read all the other ones? Um, I do have another thing about Bolana, and this may be jumping out of characters a little bit, but the reveal, I want to talk about the reveal if we can, if this will mess up your timeline or whatever, because it sort of fits into Bolana. So, like, there's this whole subplot about she sees this thing on one of the ships, and she doesn't tell anybody about it. And it's, like, this big secret about, like, what's in the hold or whatever. And it's a reveal that really didn't work for me, unless you can explain it, is that... So, on the Achilles, she finds this... all these fighters, all these, like, attack craft, right? Yeah. Okay, is is that a big deal? Because that didn't seem like a big deal at all to me. And and in most of the book, Bolana was like, "Oh, this is oh, I can't tell anybody." Oh, and I was like, "So what? There's there's like X wings on the Achilles. Who cares?" <laughs> yeah, it's true. <laughs> it's true. I, I think it's just because of the shock. Because Starfleet doesn't normally have those sort of fighters. Possibly that's how I that's how I took it the first time, and even the second time of reading the book. And I, I think it's just because no one on the fleet knows about it, apart from the captain of that particular oh, ship. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, that's how I took it. Is that how you took it, Ros? Well, I, I think that the shock factor for Balana was, was because after everything that's happened, the Federation, the, one of the points of them sending this fleet back to the Delta Quadrant is that in the aftermath of everything that has happened, the Federation has said, we're not going to let this change who we are. We are going to launch this fleet and continue our original mission, which is um, peaceful exploration and to seek out new life and build new relationships and everything. And that that was what they set out to do. And now she's found that actually they're going out on their peaceful mission of exploration, but they've been so... Change, the, the, the whole ethos of the Federation has been so changed and so hurt by the by everything that the wars that have happened to them that they're they're going out with peace on, on this mission of peaceful exploration but they've got you know a dagger in their back pocket um, and that oh, that okay. is not supposed to be what the Federation is about and that seeing this bay full of um, vessels that can't possibly be explained away as for anything other than these are to fight and um, that that she was a bit um, annoyed and disheartened that they'd kind of been lied to that the, the purpose of their mission was peaceful but we're gonna kick ass if anybody you know so much as looks as, as the yes. wrong way sort of thing but so I think that was being what she was supposed to be sort yeah well I mean I, I would say self-defense but I, I don't know if maybe she felt that it was a bit excessive or that it, they should have at least been told about it uh okay 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 
God, that's just my re- that's just my reading of it. But that was how I kind of came to reconcile her reaction in my head. I love the fact that the three of us all, all have got different views on how we see her reaction and, yeah. and it's great to discuss it. It's, it's fantastic. Now, we haven't mentioned Captain um, Farkas and um, Bryce who, who go to Helen back after their ships attacked by the Children of the Storm. Now, did we enjoy that part of the story? Because I thought it was quite good. It reminded me of First Contact in some ways with the fight on the ship, on the Enterprise with the Borg. I, I like the part where Farkas recruited the engineer, the junior engineer, to like bring it on, and 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 how Farkas um, sacrificed, you know, the suit. But to be honest with you, I didn't like Farkas at all because, like, again, I got no reason why I should care about that character, really. Like, I just felt like from from reading just this book, for me as a person, you know, coming out from the outside of it, Farkas seemed like cannon fodder, or or no, you know, pun intended, a red shirt. <laughs> Farkas kind of seemed like as soon as I met Farkas I was like oh Farkas is going to die like for me I didn't feel like I got enough to care and and as soon as Farkas like took off that suit I was like yeah Farkas is dead how about you Rose? yeah I kind of I mean I know that we got action on on both of those other ships but I kind of felt that they were there to further the story whereas on um with Captain O'Donnell and on Voyager and everything, obviously, I think that we get a bit more development and a bit more uh, to get our teeth into. So, I, yeah, I would kind of agree that I, I didn't care about those characters as much as I cared about the other ships. Not that, you know, I wanted them to go through what they went through, but uh, but I, I wasn't as fussed about them. I, I think that they they were um, they were useful to to further the story and to teach us more about the children of the storm, but I wasn't as thrilled with those characters as I was with some of the others in this book. And and speaking of the children of the storm, what what did we think of those or them I should say? Usually when um when we meet new species in in these books and you get a description, you, I f- I find that I can get quite a, a clear picture in my head of what they look like and how they act and everything. And the children of the storm, I don't know if it's just because they were so different, these sort of non-corporeal beings um, that we have met. I, I don't know if it was just so different from other species that we've met. I find it really difficult to imagine them. And so whenever it yep. got to parts of the story that talked about the children of the storm, I find my head kept jumping from one image to another and, oh, did they look like this? And what was it like that? I don't know if maybe we could have done with just a little bit of a clearer description. And I, I know that they're supposed to be quite uh, ethereal and so completely removed from us as, you know, carbon-based humanoids but there's there's describing something in the abstract to make it seem different but then there's also describing something in the abstract so abstractly that you just can't relate to it at all and I found it really different difficult to get this idea of what they looked like and what it would be like to encounter them and how you would interact with them and when you when they started talking about them being thoughts and as an extension of a greater whole it all got a bit confusing and I have a, I have an honours degree in philosophy and I found it a bit confusing to think about the idea of disembodied thoughts and being extensions of the whole and, and I so I, I thought that perhaps that could have been made slightly more relatable for the reader but they were incredibly interesting uh, species on the whole and, and I, I thought that other than me not being able to get a really good grasp on them, the 
the, as part of the story, they worked well. So I don't know what you guys thought. I know I agree exactly 100%. I, I don't quite know what they are or how I even see them yet. And that was a difficult part. Like Every time they showed up, I thought they were an interesting species. But yeah, it was very difficult to visualize them and very difficult to be like, okay, so what's happening now? I don't quite know. Because when I read a Star Trek book, again, I try to visualize it like an episode. Because, you know, Star Trek is a TV show to me. And I had no idea what these things looked like and and the descriptions always gave me different images like i was like okay are they small little circular balls are they like clouds are they i don't know i liked the um the fact that they could control the crew and they were fighting themselves almost it was almost uh, zombies in some ways wasn't it and they were just reluctant to shoot their own crew members and i, th I thought that was quite interesting but um it's certainly like a race we've not really encountered before so so i did like that part of it and um it just seemed for a lot of the novel there was just going to be no way to reconcile with them the solution came quite quickly i thought on how to work with them but it didn't ruin the plot if that makes sense i thought that this was quite an interesting first contact given that it was immediately a complete disaster and f fatal because usually when we have a first contact there's always that moment of which way is this going to go are they going to be good are they going to be bad but there's always the potential for it to go either way there's always that that initial contact of finding out who they are trying to explain who the, you know the federation are um, and trying to build that relationship whereas here it was hello boom <laughs> so there was yeah. there was no moment of diplomacy it was just an immediate disaster and then they had to try and pull it back from there which is quite a different dynamic than we, we usually see so that was that was quite interesting we, we've spoke about the characters within the story now so looking at the story overall what did we like and what didn't we like? So, Jason, what, what stood out for you and what perhaps you thought, hmm, perhaps that wasn't right for me? The one thing that stood out the most to me was the mother because it kind of seemed to come from nowhere. So, like, they, they, they're, they're, they're fighting the children in the storm and they know that one ship is over here and it's crashing the planet and they know that one ship is uh, um, the, uh, the, cool, the cool guy, Don O'Donnell, is over here and he's surviving. And they're like, which way do we go? And then for me, it kind of seemed to come from nowhere that, like, they came up with this idea, like, oh, there must be a mother out there somewhere. Let's go find the mother. And that kind of it, – it, it didn't really pay off for me at all, and it really didn't um, – it, it seemed convenient, and it seemed weird that it was like, oh, hey, let's go visit the mother. And then they go visit the mother, and then suddenly they're able to talk to these children of the storm, and the children of the storm are like, yeah, sure, we'll help you. No problem. It didn't make sense to me. I, I, I feel like if you were going to go to the mother of these people from what had been set up before, it had been a fight for your life because that's home territory. Because a lot of times the Children of the Storm to me acted like bees, very territorial. Mm -hmm. And if you go to their hive, they're going to kick your ass. And you may eventually be able to contact them, but like you're going to take a pounding for, for, for walking into that hive. So they just showed up there and, and the Children of the Storm were like, hey, we're buddies now. From that point onward, it seemed like that all the stakes of the book, where the Children of the Storm were like these impossible enemies to beat, were just completely wiped away because the Children of the Storm were just like our friends now. And as long as we're friends, we can solve any problem, which I guess is the point of Star Trek. But it just seemed really easy and really convenient to me from all the buildup in the beginning of the book. Yeah, it's almost like uh, in some ways um, TOS episodes where you had like 
all the tension building up and then you've only got five minutes left and everything's wrapped up really quickly with a nice bow. Yeah. Yeah. That's actually reminded me of a lot of Voyager episodes like that too, where Voyager would like solve, would become friends with the enemy in the last five minutes and yeah. solve the problem with Technobabble. So you think it, it's kind of a, a matter of pacing then, that, that, that maybe the pace of the book was just off a little, too much time was dedicated to the build-up and not enough time dedicated to the resolution then? Yeah, I, I would say that's probably good. That... How about you, Ros? What, what stood out for you? With all Star Trek books, I'm always a big fan of the, the main plot lines and uh, all the, the big action-packed sequences and everything, but what really makes a book stand out for me is when it, it's it got the good main story but also all of the subplots and the little bits that weave in and out and continue on from novel to novel to novel when they work well and in this book I really enjoyed all the little subplots that, that were woven in there so the relationship building up um, between Harry and Tom again, uh, Balana settling into this new role as the engineer, um, the uh, tease that we're starting to get now about uh, Eden's origins. So not just that she is dealing with the aftermath of finding out about um, Admiral Batiste and being a member of the Species 8472 and everything, but also now them starting to tease with this artifact uh, about that there might be more to her than meets the eye. So I, I liked the fact that throughout the whole book, all, all of these little um, asides were woven through it and uh, and that they made me then want to read the next novel because I think that that's something that Kirsten does really well. She not only entertains you with the novel you're reading now, but she whets your appetite and makes you want to pick up the next one when it comes out. So, uh, so that was something that I enjoyed about this book. For me, I, I, I did like the way Kirsten told the story from going backwards. So Voyager was in current time and then they were going back a couple of weeks and, and then it was building up to a few hours until Voyager finally arrived. I, I did like the tension on, um, I can't remember what the name of the ship is, sorry, um, Demi yeah, Demeter, Demeter um, with O'Donnell and uh, Fife. I really, really like that. I, I, I really enjoyed that subplot. And I've already mentioned that with Farkas, I thought perhaps it reminded me of First Contact a lot. But it, it was quite exciting that there was a lot of action there. And I think Kirsten did really well juggling those those subplots of the two ships and then what was happening on Voyager and then the, the subplots within Voyager um, with, you know, Balana, Tom and Harry, um, then Eden and Chakotay. So there's so much going on in this story. And I think up to this point, this is actually the largest novel of the three so far i think certainly the most complex yeah definitely i really did enjoy those and again though we're not all convinced about the children of the storm i just love the fact that even with all these subplots going on of the overall picture of voyager being in the delta quadrant we still got back down to what star trek's all about which is exploration i think one of the most impressive things about children of the storm is that the children of the storm was a totally throwaway line in David Mack's Destiny trilogy in one of his books. And Kirsten has managed to get a, a really solid novel and a, you know, a pretty long, complex novel out of, out of that one little scene where they mentioned the fact that, that the Borg had been destroyed in this quadrant and it seemed to be this uh, mysterious race. And, and that could just have been forgotten forever. And, uh, and instead, that has been taken and teased out and developed and, and into this, okay, it maybe wasn't one of our favourite races. There's maybe a little bit of tweaking that could have been done to make them 
slightly more relatable for us, but I think that it's it's fairly impressive that we got this pretty solid storyline out of it, which which impressed me no end. It always impresses me when uh, authors manage to go back and pick up these tiny little things and make an entire story out of them. So I like that. So we've spoken a lot about this book this evening. We've spoken about the themes, the relationships, what we liked and didn't like. Um, but but looking now to our overall opinion of the book, is this one that you would uh, think that you might pick up again, um, Jason, or is this is this something that you think um, has maybe inspired you to go and and have a read of the other Voyager novels that have come out? Um, I will say that I did um, go read the wikis of the previous books to kind of like, because uh, after I finished it, there were some parts where I was like, well, I don't know about this and I don't know about this. So I went, I went and read the wikis and I still didn't understand parts of it. I don't know if I would ever read this book again. Um, I will say that um, this book did make me a little excited for what's to come because I think the idea of sending these nine ships into the Delta Quadrant as like sort of a sequel to Voyager, I think is so damn cool. I think it's such a great idea um, that I'd be curious to see it in more execution. And I'm more curious because I got a little spoiled because I saw the cover of the next book and it has Janeway on it. And I'm like, oh, are they bringing Janeway back? So... I think I would read more of these going forward. Overall, I liked it. There were just some parts of it where O'Donnell, uh, as we call him, the the the, the laid-back captain, O'Donnell was such an interesting character, whereas, like, Farkas and Eden, to me, were not, that there was, like, a lot of... That was the disappointing parts of the book for me, that certain characters were not as well-developed or interesting as other characters, and that to me was like, oh, but you made this character so good. Why isn't this character as good? That was my main problem in the book. No, I, I can understand that, and Ross and I always talk about this, that with a Star Trek book about anyone being able to pick it up and jump straight in and, and be able to get a grasp of, of what's happening, even with such a complex series like this. Um, so it's interesting, isn't it, Ros, to hear what Jason's got to say about that. Michael and I are so entrenched in the Star Trek novel universe now. Um, oh, absolutely that, outside too, yeah. Yeah, that it's, it's quite nice to get an objective uh, viewpoint. And it, you've made a lot of interesting points this evening and, and that you have seen things in quite a different light than we have. So it's really interesting to see how somebody who's coming from, from more of the outside, not having all the backstory in their head of all these other novels that have come before and how you relate to the book and to the characters. And um, that's been really interesting this evening. So thank you for that. No, no problem. Man, if they made, if, if they wrote the O'Donnell book, I'm there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hopefully there'll be, there'll be more to come from him. Hopefully, isn't it, Ros? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hopefully we'll see him again. I, I think even though with the, the things we spoke about, I think Kirsten's done it again. I think the story goes back to the roots of Star Trek and Gene Roddenberry's um, vision of the human condition. I think it moves along at a steady pace and it has a mixture of drama, action. And like all the previous Voyager stories, I think it's got an incredible amount of story development or character development, I should say. Um, Kirsten continues the ongoing arcs that started in full circle, but also introduces us to new characters that by end of the story, you're longing to know more about them. And I really, really did enjoy enjoy the book. And as always, um, it's a great story by a great author. And the Voyager series is, is really growing. I think out of the three we've read, I, I really do think full circle still is my favorite. And um, I can't wait to talk about the next one. How about you, Roz? 
Yeah, definitely. I, I think that this is another solid read. It's probably, of the three that we've done thus far, this would probably be my least favourite of the three, but I mean, it's still a really good book. That That's not to take anything away from it. It, it talks, speaks more to how good the first two books were. Um, I There's a lot that I enjoyed about this book. Um, very few things that I didn't enjoy, although, as I said, I think that I had a bit of trouble with the children of the storm themselves um, and that that it, it maybe detracted slightly from my enjoyment. Um, whereas in other books, the alien species that we've been dealing with, I've been able to really get into the character of those uh, of those aliens. And I, I'd had a bit more trouble with this book. I did enjoy the way that um, the timeline jumped about. I, I've mentioned in previous podcasts when we've spoken about uh, Kirsten's books and um, sometimes it's jumping back and forward and going to different timelines and going to different vessels. And in a lot of books that I've read in the past, that can be done in an incredibly confusing way and you end up flipping back through the book going, oh, hang on, what happened back here? But I think Kirsten managed just to keep it fairly easy to follow um, and that's a testament to, to her writing skills. So overall, I think it's a really good solid read. I was very heartened to hear that that someone who hasn't followed the entire series to this point um, and all the surrounding background books from other other series um, was still able to uh, enjoy this book and, and get something out of it. Um, for me, it, it was good, but it wasn't the best of what we've had. And that, But that's just personal opinion. I, I still think that um, Kirsten is a cracking author and I'm looking forward to reviewing the next one. You know, I will say that this, from what I can remember, that this is one, if this is the direction that Star Trek books are going, they are in much better shape than where I left reading Star Trek books probably like over 10 years ago. <laughs> yeah, it's it's like night and day now. It really is. Because I, I, Michael and I, it's funny, we were talking recently about doing a, another podcast further down the line where we talk about the very first books that we ever read, the first Star Trek novels. And from the one that I read the first time, to the caliber of novel that we're getting now, there's just no comparison whatsoever. I can tell you, I can tell you exactly what mine was. Well, I, I don't remember the name, but it's the TNG book where on the cover they have two pictures of Picard and one Picard's. Oh, it's Dark Mirror. That I just I just found it. I was trying to Google it as we were talking. Um, it's it's Star Trek: Next Generation Dark Mirror by Diane Duane. I think you how to say it. And, and I bought it because I, I knew what the Mirror Universe was, and I saw two uh, Picards on the cover, and I remember being so excited to read it. And then I read it, and I was like, this isn't any good. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've got to say, I, I've got that one, and I felt exactly the same way as you did. Apart from Troy, who was a real evil um... – <laughs> I should use, I'll just use the word, real evil bitch in that story. Yeah. Uh, Troy is brilliant, but the rest of it is just like, oh, it was such a letdown. Yep. yep. It really was. It was such a letdown, that book. So we won't review that one, Roz. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> no, I think we're in much better hands these days uh, with the, the authors that have taken over these series. They really are producing a, an incredibly high class of, of writing. Well, can I can I ask a question that 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 may be quite off topic? Well, not really off topic, but um, so I'm the outsider here, and I, I don't, I'm certain I would maybe or maybe not. There might be some other outsiders listening to the podcast, and maybe they listen to the podcast, but they don't actually read the books. Like they hear you guys talk about them to be like, oh, that's what's going on. Got it. Is there a Star Trek book 
uh, that you know probably happened within in the good period now because we're in the renaissance of the Trek books as it seems. What is the book that you would recommend? The Star Trek book that you would recommend to people who haven't kept up with the books, like to bring them back into the fold. Oh, I can think of one straight away. Let's see if Ros and I say the same one. I'm hoping we do. Uh, I'm going to say you read the Destiny trilogy. Uh, I was going to recommend starting with, I think it's like three books that lead up to the Destiny trilogy. Um, I can't remember. I know one of them is called Great. I'm, I'm frantically on memory beta trying to find out what they're called and what order they come in. I know one of them is Greater Than The Sum. Um, the Destiny trilogy is the place to start. I would recommend if somebody was serious about understanding where it's all gone now that you start with the three lead-in no- novels to the Destiny trilogy, which will set the scene for for that trilogy. But that is that is the big turning point. That is where it all kicks off, and it, the the Destiny trilogy, for my money, is still the best bit of track writing out there. There's just is, nothing that surpassed start- it yet. Is that the start of the uh, the Borg? Yeah, stuff? that's the big Borg okay. storyline. And the three okay. stories that lead up to that are part of the Borg storyline as well. Um, but they they really lead you into the big trilogy storyline. And that is just a phenomenal bit of writing. Not even a bit of Trek writing, but it's just a phenomenal bit of writing full stop. It, it, they're really great novels. So if you fancy going back and, and having a look at any of them, then that's definitely the place to start. I, I would say with Destiny, um, David Mack proves that he is one of the greatest Star Trek writers of our generation. Yeah. Um, I really do think that. On the other hand, though, if you if you didn't want to start with Destiny and the events of the Borg, you could go with The Fall, which was a five part series. Uh, that came out over a year ago and that would be a good jumping on point too it's a very political story it's quite different to destiny but nevertheless that's a good jumping on point too because that leads into where the books are going now but i would certainly say destiny is destiny set before the fall uh yes Okay, I'm asking for reading material here, guys. I'm, I'm making notes. <laughs> I, I would certainly say Destiny, because then Destiny, <laughs> Destiny leads into um, Titan going in different directions. It leads to the Typhon Pact set of stories and a big political breakup within the Alpha Quadrant. So that that's certainly a big direction. But the, what I will say one thing, especially for the listeners who perhaps haven't picked up a Voyager book before, what's really good is even with Destiny and everything that's going on, you can actually pick up the Voyager books. They're a great way to jump on. And I would certainly recommend, Jason, I'm sure Ros will too, that you should go mm-hmm. and read Full Circle, the first Voyager book that uh, Kirsten wrote. The start of the series. Yeah, because it's absolutely brilliant. And I, I dare you not to come back to us and say that's the best Chakotay story you've ever read isn't it rose that's a tall order man because i'm not a big Chicote <laughs> fan oh <laughs> uh, you will be you will be once the um once you read all the voyager books because he got a really raw deal in the show and i know that yeah he did there was a lot of uh, animosity behind the scenes surrounding the fact that Chicote just never got past the first officer arm arm and raise the shield and there was so much more to him and what now in the books he gets a personality (laughs) which which is a vast improvement on the show i I know because i remember when voyager first came out they released this series of voyager trading cards and i bought them because that's when at the height of my star trek nerdum 
and I loved it so much. And one of the reasons I bought them, and it was before I'd even seen the first episode, was because each pack came with a Chakotay tattoo. <laughs> you know, one of those washable tattoos? And, like, so I collected all those Chakotay tattoos and put one on myself because, like, in the pictures leading up to the show, like, seeing, like, TV Guide and stuff like that, to me, Chakotay looked like the most interesting character. And I was so disappointed when I finally watched the show and he was, like, the least interesting character. And I was like, you're so white, Brad. What's wrong with you? <laughs> <laughs> oh dear the kuchimoya <laughs> what i've loved this evening is the fact that the three of us have all seen different things within the story uh, in terms of either the character development the ongoing story arcs the children of the storm and, and i've really liked that and although we've got nitpicks with the story i still think the three of us still think it's a really good story yeah mm -hmm. yeah i agree totally so, um, listeners, go and read Children of the Storm and let us know what you think of it. And again, I think Kirsten Byers done a great work here. So definitely go check out the book. Links for the book will be on the show notes where you can get it on Amazon and other places. So that's great. Now, Jason, we, we really want to thank you for coming on this evening. And we also want to thank, thank you. Oh, it's great. It's been we've really enjoyed it, and you've made some brilliant points, and it, and it's had us thinking, and and it's really nice to have a, an extra component on the show, isn't it, Ros? And and someone there with a, a different point of view to us. Yeah, definitely. We're um, we're so used to just uh, prattling on at each other, so it's very nice to have a a new voice thrown into the mix. So thank you so much for coming on and being our very first review guest. Yeah, no problem. Anytime. Uh, we, we've enjoyed it. And again, thank you so much for your patience, especially the fact that you've had to jump in with, with a story <laughs> that is sort of set in the middle. So we, we thank you for that. You, you've done brilliantly. So so thank you. And for our listeners, Jason, how can they find out more about you? And, and if they wanted to follow you on social media, how can they do that? Well, if you want to know more about me, there's a very Star Trek-y thing that I do called The Red Shirt Diaries. It's a web series about the lowest-ranked ensign on the Enterprise. You can go find it on www.theredshirtdiaries.com. That the is very important. There's 10 episodes there. They line up with the original series, and we're making 20 more, so we'll finish out all of Season 1 of TOS, and we'll end with a mock time. And then you can go to Twitter. Uh, my Twitter is Jawin, J-A-W-I-I-N. Yes, that's a double I. And you can find all my tweets of my videos, my DC All Access stuff, which I host that show, and a picture of Connor Trenier's Catfish and Plasma that I just made, which is a prop for Red Shirt Season 2. But no, we really want to thank you for coming on, Jason. It, it's, been, it's been great fun, and we've really loved your opinions of the book. And uh, we can't wait for you to come back and uh, for us to pick another story, and, and this time a standalone one, and we can have a, a, really, good, a really good discussion about it. Yeah. Thank you guys so much, man. This was, like, a lot of fun. And it was nice to, um, you know, like, book club it. Like, you know, book club about a book, about Star Trek, which is always a good thing. Yeah, well, it's been great to have you on the show. We really appreciate your time. Thank you. So I say just say just be like live long and prosper, gents and ladies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Michael, that was fantastic. It's so nice to have our first uh, guest on for a review show. It was, and and Jason did really well considering we threw him in the deep end. I, I think Jason uh, took the book by the horn, so to speak, and and he enjoyed it, which was a great thing. And uh, but he was also quite challenging of it, which I think is also a good thing. Yeah, it was really nice to get a, a fresh perspective um, on on the novels and and how they are perceived by people who aren't as 
totally engrossed in the the long running series as we are and um, so it was interesting to see how somebody who doesn't have all that backstory already in their head and um, how they view the book and what they liked about it and didn't like and thought about of the character development so um yeah it was really great to have jason on he was lots of fun um, and looking forward to having him back on the show again no, definitely. And we'll be gentle next time, as we said, and, and pick a standalone story, I think. Yeah, this was a particularly difficult one to jump in on, but I, I felt that he handled it really well. No, he was brilliant. So, listeners, we, we know what Jason thinks about Children of the Storm. So what do you think? If you'd like to get in touch with the show and we'd love to hear from you, you can find us at visionarytrack.com. You can also find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash visionarytrack and on Twitter at visionarytrack. You can contact me directly via email at roz, R-O-Z, at visionarytrack.com or you can find me on Twitter at roslyn s, that's R-O-S-L-Y-N-S. And you can find me on Twitter at mclark1701, or if you want to contact me directly, you can email me at mike at visionarytrek.com. So, Michael, what are we doing next time? Well, our next review will be continuing the Voyager theme, and we are going to be looking at the next book in the series, and that is The Eternal Tide. And there's going to be the return of someone very special in that book. Oh, it's all very exciting and mysterious. Oh, it is. <laughs> and and listeners should definitely check that show out. Thank you for listening. And as always, don't forget to turn the page for our next adventure. You've been listening to The Captain's Table.